Well, after five months or so, we are moving past Leviticus. Crazy. Holy cow. There's something else. The, on to the book of Numbers, as Jana joked last week. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, we are four, we have four Sundays in November here before we get to Advent, and, and uh uh, we're going to do a thing in Advent, I'll talk about that in, in weeks to come, uh, where, where we'll be heading in Advent, but uh, I, I, there, there's, no, there's no plan for this month other than God's been working uh, on me, uh, and there's been some scriptures that have been working on me, and I've wanted to share them with you, either in writing or, or in sermon, and haven't yet, so here we go. I'm, I'm just gonna I'm gonna share a few ideas. So so instead of no shave November, it's no theme November here for this for this month. Uh, this morning, I uh, I'm I'm borrowing an idea. Uh, I, I I listen I listen to this podcast uh, from time to time uh, by a guy named Rob Bell, a former pastor, now speaker, and, and he has this this wonderful podcast and and. Uh, as I was traveling out to Seattle a few weeks ago, I was kind of binge listening to this podcast, catching up, and uh, and this one, this one like is this little earworm that has dug its way into my body and soul and won't get out. This this thought and all these other thoughts have sprung from it, and uh, so I'm I'm borrowing kind of his general uh, I- idea. But man, it's been working on me in so many ways, and I, and I want to share. So I want to share that story with you. So, so I have some thoughts, some stories that I've been processing, and uh, and how it's been working on me, and how I've come to a healthier place because of because of this idea. So, uh, first a first a story or or a number of stories. I uh, a moment of confession here. I I worry way more than I ought to about church growth. All right, moment of vulnerability. Uh, I I try to hide it. Hopefully I do. Hopefully you don't pick up on that from me very often, but it's there. It lingers below the surface. It's on my mind, Uh, and I don't want it to be. Uh, I actually love our church a lot, and I think we're at a pretty healthy place, and uh, and I love being your pastor, uh, especially when you give me cards like that and almost make me cry in front of you. So uh, I love that. It's so fun. It, I, I love this little tribe we have, but I also know that my livelihood and my family's livelihood has this dependence on on my career, and right now that is tied to all of you, and it's tied to to this specific congregation, and uh, and it's it's dependent on us being sustainable as a church for the long haul. Uh, we've grown, but we we would still need to grow more in order to be sustainable, and, and so. Uh, it's encouraging in all sorts of ways when people, uh, new people join our tribe, uh, but it can also be really disheartening when they don't because I've got this thing stuck in my craw all the time, like we got to grow this thing so that I get to stay here and keep doing this beautiful ministry that I, that I love doing with you. And so, so when things don't go well, uh, it, it bugs me, it, it gnaws at me, it, it kind of hurts uh, when, when people are interested but don't visit, when they visit but don't stay, when they stay but then they leave, it's, it's rough. 
and it kind of eats at me. And personally, I've had a disappointing season of outreach, personally, uh, over about the last six months or so, where, where I have poured my life into uh, a, a number of people, a number of families, a number of groups, and, and nothing has come out of it. Where there were some people, there was, there was a, a, a family, a small family at our church who, who left, and I worked hard to get them not to leave, and they, and they still left. And we have some, some friends who used to come here and, and don't anymore, and I thought there was this kind of glimmer of hope that I thought the window was open for, like, I think they're going to start coming again, and they haven't, and, and they're probably not going to. Uh, even though they kind of think of us as their church and they talk about us kind of like we're, we're their church, they're not here. And, and, uh, and we had a family that, that was attending pretty regularly about a year ago and then like disappeared out of the blue and wasn't returning texts and emails and they're just gone. And, uh, and we had another set of family, another family that we're, we're not terribly close with but we had reached out to and and there's been about two or three times that we're going to be there on Sunday, and they, they haven't been yet. We haven't, we haven't seen them yet. There was, a, there was a mom that we had connected with at VBS, and I had this long chain of emails, wonderful emails with this woman. She, she came for a Sunday, and uh, we followed up afterwards, and we talked some, and she loved it, and this was going to be her church. She wasn't looking anywhere else. This was it. And honest to God, I haven't seen her since. Not for lack of trying. It's been this season where it's like, what is, what is going on here? It's all these stories where, where I've spent time and energy and, and even some money at times, and it just hasn't amounted to anything. And in my moments of reflection and prayer, uh, I tried to fight back the thought. I didn't want to think of it that way, but the word that just kept coming back to me was waste. The, the word, what a waste. And, and I, I wanted to fight. I was fighting that word, get, get away from me. And yet that word kept cropping, what a waste. All that time and energy and money and hope for nothing, for nothing. All that ministry for nothing. But God has been working on me when it comes to that thought. And there's a story in Matthew 26 that's been really helpful to that process. So, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, maybe it'll be on the screen. This is Matthew 26. There's a story near the end of Jesus' ministry here on earth that's been really helpful. This is, uh, this is Jesus getting anointed at Bethany. Um, and so this is how the story goes. Matthew 26, starting with verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. Uh, so you can kind of, you can kind of picture the, the story. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfect perfume could have been sold at high price and the money given to the poor. Why, why this waste? The disciples are wrestling with the same word that I've been wrestling with. 
waste. The, the fear is that you'll give yourself to something, your spouse, your kids, your work, your school, your art, some sort of endeavor, some sort of risk. You'll, you'll give yourself over to this new endeavor, this new thing, this new challenge. You'll give yourself over to this relationship. And, and if it doesn't go the way you hoped, was it all just wasted? Was it all just a waste? Or, or you look back at the things that you've done, you analyze them like crazy. If you're like me, you look back at the past, at the transpirings of your life, uh, and you think, man, I wish I could have done some of those things differently. Like, I wish I, w- I, wish I wouldn't have done that. If I feel all this regret, uh, all this shame about these things that I've done. I wish I could have done differently, but you can't go back. You can't put the perfume back into the alabaster jar and and it eats at you. We pour out all that we have, our love, our sacrifice, our time, our money, our effort, and and it doesn't go anywhere or produce anything or last or endure and it blows up in our face. What a waste. What a what a waste. This line, why this waste from the disciples, it taps into something deep within the human psyche. We want our effort to do something. We want, we want the things that we're going to pour our lives into, we want them to accomplish something. Uh, we want them to, to change something, to do something, to produce something, to bear fruit, to lead to success. And when they don't, at least for me, there's often this kind of existential doubt, like, did I just waste all of that time, that effort, that money? What a waste. That season of my life is wasted. I'll never get that time back. I'll never get that money back. What a waste. But Jesus' response here is totally different than the disciples. His response is really interesting. Verse 10 Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. There was something bigger happening here. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached and throughout throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus' economy is different than the disciples. It's different than mine in my worst of moments. He he sees things differently. Basically, he's saying to the disciples, you're just seeing this gesture in terms of money, of of success, of achievement, of the things that all of this, the, the value of this perfume could have accomplished. It could have done all the successful ministry that could have happened because because of this perfume. All that this could have led to, all, of, all that this could have accomplished. But Jesus calls this act sacred. The disciples call it waste. He calls it sacred. And, and essentially saying that the sacrifice, the generosity, the being all in, the giving much of herself, the over-the-topness, the apparent wastefulness of this ritual is actually what makes it sacred. It's not the accomplishment, it's not the production, it's not the success of the ritual that makes it successful, it's just that she did it. It's a weird, 
it's a weird response and it flies in the face of, of what I normally think of when I'm doing ministry or when I'm trying to accomplish tasks or when I'm trying to be a parent or a spouse or an employee. Uh, it, it's totally different. So the disciples are baffled at this seemingly stupid gesture. Like, why, why this waste? Why would you do this? This is stupid. You could have sold all of this perfume and we could have done beautiful ministry together. We could have accomplished so many things. They are baffled. They are annoyed and angry at this wasteful action while Jesus simultaneously says, isn't it great? Isn't it? Isn't it awesome what she just did? This is the gospel that we're going to be telling this story for thousands of years to come. People are going to be talking in Bozeman, Montana about this story in 2,000 years because it's so fantastic what she just did. Uh, it's, it's, it's so, Jesus finds this a joyous reason for celebration. And, and there's other stories of Jesus that are exactly the same as this one. You think about the prodigal son. I've been thinking about the prodigal son a bunch lately. But there's all these facets to that story. You think about the prodigal son story. Things are humming right along. The, the rich father is blessing his rich sons. Uh, things are fantastic. And then all of a sudden, the youngest son, who must not have been the sharpest knife in the drawer or the model of morality, basically tells his father, I wish you were already dead. Like, I just, I wish you were dead and I could just collect my inheritance already. Uh, and the father, in what we would call a stupid, wasteful move, uh, give, actually gives his son his share of the inheritance and he just squanders it. He just wastes the whole thing away, all of this wealth. This money could have been used to support their family. This, it could have, to support all the employees that work there, to do beautiful ministry. And the father just wastes it. He, he just gives it away to the son who's just going to blow it. Uh, and he does. He wastes it. It's all gone in a short period of time. And the son returns with his tail between his legs. And I want to say, why the heck would the father give him that money? Like, why would you do that? Uh, he knows what the kid is going to do with it. Think of all the ways that that could have been used differently. All the things that could have produced. All the success that, that they could have had. But the father doesn't seem too bent out of shape about it, right? It, it's, it's all part of the journey. It's all sacred. And he, in the end, is just glad to have his son home. Uh, or you think about Jesus feeding the 5,000. All that time and energy spent organizing people and distributing food and taking care of these people that probably just should have brought their own lunch to this sermon, right? Like, like get a job, you lazy bums. Like, why didn't you just bring your own lunch to, to this party? Like, and now we got to... We got to do all this work and figure out all these logistics and do all the miracles. But Jesus doesn't see it that way, even though these people would desert him shortly. It's not a waste. It's all sacred. It's not a waste. Or, or there's this familiar story in John chapter 11 uh, of Jesus uh, bringing his friend Lazarus back to, to life. When most of us probably know this story. Uh, his friend Lazarus is sick. Uh, and he gets word that he's sick and he's on his way to go uh, help heal his friend. Uh, and, and on the way, his friend Lazarus dies. 
He passes away. And based on the end of the story, you know that Jesus is going to resurrect him. Like, you know that he's planning to do that. He does it in the end of the story. And so he's got this plan that he's, all right, I'm going to keep journeying on. Even though my friend has died, I'm going to keep going because in the end, I'm going to resurrect him. I'm going to bring him back to life. Uh, But still... In the story, in John 11, Jesus weeps, right? It's one, of, it's one of those memory verses that all kids memorize, like at some point when you have to memorize verses because it's just two words, right? Jesus weeps, a famous, famous passage of scripture. But he takes time to mourn the loss of his friend. Well, why? Why would he do that? It's such a weird verse. Jesus knows he's going to raise them from the dead, and yet... He grieves. He takes time to weep. The disciples must have been so confused, like, let's get on with it. Let's go do the magic and let's keep producing uh, the, the good things that we need to produce. Let's, let's go. Why are we weeping over a dude that we, we know you are going to resurrect here in just a few moments? Why the tears? Stop wasting time. Messiahs don't stop to cry. They save. They heal. They do stuff. Stop wasting time. But Jesus understands that there's something sacred in the process, in the grind, the tears, the struggle, the grief and pain and loss. There's something sacred about wasting a little time with sadness. Those aren't the weak, faithless, wasteful failures that we get over as quickly as possible so that we can move on to the strong, faithful, productive successes of our life. Uh, there's a sacredness in sitting in all of those moments. There is no waste in Jesus' economy. It's all sacred. It's all important. There's something holy about the whole messy process. The whole thing is sacred, even when it seems like a waste. There's perfume on the floor and there's a ton of money flushed down the drain and there's baskets of wasted food and there's tears for a dude that's going to be alive again soon. What, what a waste, but not for Jesus and not in God's economy. Nothing is wasted in God's economy. And I've already shared some of my own struggles with feeling inadequate or, or unsuccessful or, or that I'm spinning my wheels or just wasting my time. But man, who of us hasn't experienced this same exact thing? Who of us hasn't felt like, what a, what a waste. I will never get that time back. I will never get that money back. I poured myself into that thing, that person, that event, and nothing came of it. Nothing. Those things that feel like a waste, that set us back, that didn't accomplish anything. That, that friend that you're not close with anymore. Or, I spent so, many, so much time, like I worked on that friendship, and we never even see each other, each other anymore. That, that business that failed, like I put that whole year and we had that whole team, uh, and we, we put a bunch of money into that process, and within a year, like that thing was done and and we were moving on to the next thing that all those years and all those counseling sessions and and you still got divorced like we worked on it and it it just didn't work out 
What the heck happened? All, all those nursing classes only did not get into nursing school. I got that degree and never used it. Spent all that money on that mission trip and all that we did was hang out with kids. What a, man, spent all this money and get down to this country and all we did was paint a seminary or something. Like, what a waste. Nothing good came out of that. Uh, all that time and energy planning Sunday school for two kids. All that time spent with that youth group kid who's now 30 and still works at GameStop. Like that, that job you hated and stayed at way longer than you should have. Or, or that job that you worked so hard for and still didn't get. That I poured myself into that application process and that interview felt so good and it, what a waste. I should have never even applied. That hard conversation with a friend or family member to, to try to make things better that, that only seems to have made it worse. Like, gosh, we tried that really vulnerable thing and we tried to make things better with that family and, and geez, things, we went in the wrong direction with that thing. Like, what a waste. All those years with your kids, all the talks and lessons and advice and time and love, and it's just not going the way that you hoped it would. It feels like such a waste, but Jesus sees our lives differently. He, he doesn't see it that way. We exist in a world that boldly declares success, achievement, and wealth to be the highest values of the land. Our time, our energy, our money, they should accomplish something. We should get richer, we should get that job, we should be more successful, we should accomplish things. That's what our world tells us. But efficiency may not be God's greatest goal for your life. What if it's not? Or high levels of production, or climbing the corporate ladder, or even success in general. That may not be God's greatest goal for our life. The outcome isn't the sacred part of our life. The process is. The, the outcome isn't what makes it sacred. It's the journey. It's the risk. It's the endeavor. It's, the, it's going for it. It's being all in. That's what makes it sacred. Which means that all the disappointments and failures and broken relationships and risks that went wrong, all the money lost and time spent and sleepless nights, all the years together and the advice shared it's not a waste. It, there's nothing wasteful about that. Nothing gets wasted with God. The whole process is sacred. The whole journey is holy, even the parts that we wish went differently. Even the parts that blew up in our face and we look back with shame and regret. There's a sacredness there. Nothing is wasted there. Jesus comes to free us from the idea that everything has to be useful and productive and successful or else it's a waste. Uh, he reminds us that the sacrifice itself, the journey, the time, the effort, the struggle, the risk makes it all sacred. And we have no idea what God is going to do with those stories. Those, story, those stories that seem wasteful. Those stories that went totally backward. That, that risk that just was a total flop, we have no idea what God is going to do with that. We have no idea how he's working things together to redeem those situations that feel so wasteful and so useless. So, pour that perfume. 
Give that inheritance. Feed the 5,000. Shed those tears. Give it all. Give it your all. Take that risk. Spend that time. Give that money. Invest in that relationship. Go on that adventure. Enroll in those classes. Pour into those kids. Have that hard conversation. Do it. Take, go for it. Don't worry about, about whether it's going to produce anything, whether this is going to be successful. Uh, if you feel called to it, go, go, go for it. Pour that perfume. But know that you can't, you often can't control the outcomes of your effort. It may crash and burn. It may totally backfire. They may not get it. That relationship still may suffer. Those kids may still struggle. Those people might not come to your church. But it doesn't mean that it was a waste. We'll need to give ourselves grace because nothing is wasted in God's economy. We have no idea how God might work those apparent failures for good in God's economy. The, the sacrifice, the struggle, the effort is what makes it sacred. That's, it's confusing to us. It makes no sense in our world, of the, our success-driven world, and yet that's the way of God's kingdom, that the sacrifice, the struggle, the effort is what makes it sacred, not the results. There is no waste with God. Even the waste is sacred. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your backwards kingdom, for, for the ways in which your world doesn't make sense to us and rips us out of these, uh, these uh, ways of thinking that aren't helpful, that aren't good for us, that only produce shame and guilt, that only feel, leave us feeling like we don't live up, that we don't measure up. I thank you for this backwards way of thinking. That there is no waste in your kingdom. That our effort is sacred, is holy. Give us the courage to go for that next thing no matter what the outcome might be. And when we go for it and it crashes and burns, allow us to give ourselves grace knowing that you are. That you are there with us that our labor is not in vain. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.